Tonight we're continuing the Friends series, and as you already know, it's a series that leads up to Sunday morning, March the 27th. It's going to be an incredible morning, and I hope that, and I know that you've been already looking ahead to it, wondering what's it going to be, and who can I invite, and and how you can pray for it, and I hope that, that you are looking ahead to it, and I hope you are thinking about who you can invite, and I hope you are already praying for it. It's going to be a great, great morning. Each time I have preached, I have highlighted two people out of Scripture and shown how those two people were friends. Started out with Abraham and God, and then went to Abraham and Lot, and then buried touched on some key, key verses out of John chapter 15 relative to what Jesus says about what it takes to be a friend of Jesus and how being a friend of Jesus spills over into being friends with other people and that being friends with other people begins with a right friendship with Jesus. So we've, we've already experienced a lot. Uh, today, uh, in this service, I want us to look at Uh, two men who I have called twin sons of different mothers. Now, of course, that's an impossibility. But they were so much alike that they were like twin brothers of different mothers. I'm speaking, of course, of two courageous men, Joshua and Caleb, in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14 Verses 29 and 30. This is God speaking to the children of Israel after the spies have come back from the promised land to the desert and they have given a report of 10 to 2 against going into the land right away. Uh, It's in deliberate disobedience to what God had already told them he wanted to do And yet they voted 10 to 2 to recommend to the nation that had just come out of Egypt not to go into the promised land. And here is what God says to them as a result. He says, in this wilderness, this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old and older or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, make us like Caleb and Joshua. Those two guys had a different spirit. Those two guys had a clear focus, a clear vision for what you were calling them and their nation to do. Give us a double portion of what they had. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1978, it was the year I graduated high school from Forsyth County High School, now Forsyth Central High School, there was an album that was produced. Oh, uh, that's not it. That's Joshua and Caleb there. (laughs) Moses took that picture 
uh, with a pinhole camera uh, two days before he went back up into Sinai. And I found it in the old museum in Rico uh, three days ago. Um, no, that's not Joshua and Caleb. That is Dan Fogelberg and Tim Weisberg. It is the picture that was on an album cover that they jointly produced. They produced two. This was the first of the two that they produced. 1978, uh, there was a hit song on there called The Power of Gold. It was a great, great album. Dan Fogelberg is one of my favorite artists. He played primarily keyboards, but he also played several other instruments. Um, but Dan Fogelberg on the left, Tim Weisberg on the right, they are not related. They at this time were best friends, although they had a, ro- a, a, a not-so-rosy relationship from time to time. The title of the album was Twin Sons of Different Mothers. Dan Fogelberg, Tim Weisberg. Tim Weisberg uh, is still alive. Dan Fogelberg died in 2007 after battling for three years with prostate cancer. He died at age 56. His wife was by his side. Tim Weisberg was born in 1943. He is a flutist, a flute player, and he played flute on most of the tracks that uh, were on that Twin Sons of Different Mothers album whenever he was in high school, in his first music class, because his last name began began with a W, they would, in this music class, they had a limited number of musical instruments that the school would provide. And they did not require, in this particular school, the students to buy their own instruments. And so what they would do, whatever instruments they had, they would lay them out, and then they would take the students beginning in alphabetical order. That's not good news if you have... Uh, a name like Weisberg or Woodall. By the time they got to Tim Weisberg, there were two instruments on the platform. There was a bassoon and there was a flute. Neither of them was what he really wanted to play, but between the bassoon and the flute, he decided on the flute for two reasons. One, it was easier to carry than the bassoon. And two, he would have been the only boy playing the flute. All the rest of them were girls. And so that was just a no-brainer. You're going to pick the instrument where the girls are also playing the instrument. And so he did. And he is a jazz flutist as well as a composer and a vocalist and a, uh, 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 a, a performer. And he recorded this album with Dan Fogelberg, Twin Sons of Different Mothers. I only bring that up uh, as an introduction to Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, of course, were not musicians. Uh, They, like Weisberg and Fogelberg, were not biologically related. We don't know what they looked like because uh, Moses' pinhole camera, though I'm sure he had one, was torn up the day that they got into Sinai. But they acted so much alike. It was almost like what one said, the other one said, oh yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Well, what Caleb said, Joshua said, well, that's exactly where I am too. They were just, it was like they were twin sons of different mothers. They They were friends. And as is the case with so many uh, uh, 
duos throughout Scripture that teach us so much about real friendships. Caleb and and, uh, Joshua teach us some things about uh, real, being real friends. And I want to share with you four of those traits, those characteristics that these two men in Scripture teach us about being real friends. The first observation I want you to notice that we can glean from their relationship is this. Real friends earn the respect of those around them. One of my favorite uh, quotes concerning uh, friends, secondarily, it was really made about leadership, but it also applies to friends, was made by John Maxwell. He said, if a person thinks that he or she is a leader and turns around and has no friends, he's merely taking a walk. Caleb and Joshua were among a group of 12 men who were identified, one each from the 12 tribes of Israel at the foot of, near the foot of Mount Sinai. They were identified because they were leaders. And they were leaders because they had the respect of people. Not everybody who will say hey to you respects you. Some people do it in order to tolerate you and me. Hopefully, some people do it because they respect us. They respect you. They respect me. Listen to what uh, Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Now that's the promised land, which I am giving to the Israelites. Do you hear that? I am giving this to the Israelites. He, He didn't He's not wanting them to go search it out to see if they can take it. He's basically saying, I want you to go search it out to see what I'm giving you. They missed that. At least everybody did but Joshua and Caleb. Which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its, say it, leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were, say it, leaders of the Israelites. They came recommended. Now, not all of them turned out to be great leaders. I'd submit that 10 of them weren't very good leaders at all, but they were respected among their people enough that they chose them to be leaders. People who are real friends earn the respect of those around them, around us. Some people... Sometimes, and, and may, I don't know if all of us do this at some time in our lives, I hope not, but sometimes it seems that, that, that there are, are those among us who we, we think that people owe us respect without us having to earn it. It just doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way with these 12 men. They earned the respect of the people in their tribe. And Caleb and Joshua were among those 12. Real friends earn the respect of those around them. There's a second observation I want you to see. Real friends research an issue before making a decision about it. Now let me show you this. Again, we're in Numbers 13, beginning with verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore 
Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev, that's the southern part of the promised land, Canaan, and on into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And then parenthetically, the writer of Numbers here says it was the season for the first ripe grapes. That tells you a little bit of what to expect when you go in there. So they went up. Verse 21, and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rib toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. These were, this was a big cluster of grapes. Along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol. Because of the cluster of grapes, the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So you have this committee of 12, made up of 12 leaders, one leader from each of the 12 tribes. Moses says, go up into the land, and I want you to thoroughly search it out. Find out what kind of people are there. Are they rich or poor? Are they strong or weak? Find out what kind of cities they live in. Do they have walls around them or no? And what kind of soil do they have? Take a soil test. See what kind of soil it is. What kind of vegetation is there in fruit? And just go through the whole land and bring back a report and bring back some evidence of what you find. And the committee went up and they spent 40 days. There wasn't, metaphorically, a rock that they didn't turn over in order to determine what was in this land. They thoroughly searched it out so that when they came back, they could give an honest report, a well-thought-out report of what they had found. Now, when they got back, 10 of them started rehearsing their report. They talked about the fact that the land was great, the vegetation was abundant, the fruit was plentiful, the people were giants. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And then they recommended that they not go. Don't go in there. Now, I want you to notice something. They had done a lot of research, those 10. They had done a lot of research on the land. Caleb and Joshua disagreed with the majority opinion of that team. They disagreed with them. And so what happened was they said, yes, you're right. The fruit is abundant and the vegetation is plentiful and the cities are great. And yes, we found giants there. And no doubt to them, in comparison to them, we were like grasshoppers, if that big. Yes, it's going to be uh, a challenge. We agree with you to that extent. But they went on to say, 
We have done a little bit further research, and there's one thing that we know that you guys either have ignored or you didn't see at all, and that was God has given us this land. They had done a, uh, uh, they had done, gone three steps beyond the report and the research that their colleagues on the committee had done. I, I, I tell you what I, what I believe. I believe that God's people owe it to God and we owe it to each other and we owe it to the people that we tell things to, whether they're Christian or non-Christian. We owe it to them to tell them the truth. Too often, we go looking for something, and here's the way we do it. Okay, here's what, before I ever go over there, here's what I know I'm going to find, or here's what I want to find. And then we go trotting off, and we find only what we want to find, whether it's there or not. We'll find only what we want to find, and then we come back, and we will tell only what we want to tell. Sometimes what we tell will slander people or we'll tell something that's not true. This is especially a danger today in our internet world. I get emails on a daily basis, as do you, from people forwarding messages. Some of them will be true. Some of them will not be true. I got an email today that had been sent to Miss Billy Joyner. Miss Billy Joyner and I are pen pals via email. I have saved in a file called Boggs Joyner, which used to be her email address. It's not that anymore, but I kept the same name because it's been that long since she and I have been emailing each other. I have 1,500 thereabout emails that she has sent to me. I didn't save the ones I sent to her. but I responded to almost every one of them. Then I didn't save all of them that she sent to me. I told her, I said, some of them just weren't fit to keep. It's really not true, but I told her that, so don't tell her any different. Somebody forwarded her an email. I really hope that the person who forwarded her that is not here. But somebody did. It was a picture of a parade in New York City, Madison Avenue, Muslims. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not for uh, promoting Islam. But it was a picture, there were two actually, of some uh, people who are Muslims praying in the middle of Madison Avenue. And the story that was attached to the picture said that Muslims every single Friday were going out into the street of Madison Avenue and it gave the intersection of the street and they were blocking traffic in every direction, praying and nobody was doing anything about it and that Christians don't have the right to do that. And it's being sent out all over the place. And it's making Christians mad that we're not, that we supposedly don't have the freedom that these folks have. What, what uh, got me about it, I got it this afternoon, and it's really interesting because uh, this is the same email that I, have, I got. The first time I ever got it was uh, two years ago, and it made me mad. You see, I don't like my 
right to free expression of my religion to be inhibited. And so I didn't like Muslims encroaching upon my free expression. So I did a little research. I found out the story was totally bogus. Oh, the pictures are true. It is true that on a Friday, they found some Muslims who were about praying in the street, Madison Avenue, in New York. It is true that there was some blockage of traffic. It's true that they do hold a parade in which they pray. I'm not Muslim. I don't believe in their Muslim Allah. I don't believe in that. But what I do believe is in their right to worship. If they don't have a right to worship, I won't have a right to worship, and I want the right to worship. In reality, they don't meet there every Friday. Sometime between the middle of September and the middle of October each year, these folks apply for a parade permit from the city of New York. And it is granted every year for them to have this parade. The parade includes a brief time where they meet in the street where they've already been given permission to have the parade and they pray. And it happens one Friday a year legally. Now the email implies, well it doesn't imply, it just flat says it, that Christians don't have the right to do what those Muslims did. Yes, we do. We too can go and apply for a permit to hold a parade on Madison Avenue. And we too can be granted the same right that those folks did. And we too, if we had a Christian parade, could include in that parade kneeling down in the middle of Madison Avenue and praying, yes, we do have that right. But we're not doing that. We're too busy spreading lies via the internet about people who are exercising their right. Now, don't hear me defending the Muslim religion. Here's what I am defending telling the truth in what we as Christians say. Caleb and Joshua told the truth because they had done all the research that was necessary before reaching a decision and sharing the results of their report. Ladies and gentlemen, without even saying anything, just in your heart and your mind, will you promise me that you'll do everything, and I'll promise you, will do you do everything within your power that before you spread something that you have heard, that you will check it out to make sure whether or not it is true? Will you promise me that? Don't you think we as Christians owe that? Don't you think that people who are out in the unchurched world, when you and they know you're a Christian and you tell them something, don't you think that they ought to confidently be able to believe that as a Christian you're telling the truth? 
I was in a meeting last year, and this email that I'm talking about came up. And in the meeting, there was a church leader there who said, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is a very close paraphrase. He said, he said, now I haven't checked this out yet. But I understand Muslims block the traffic on Madison Avenue every single Friday to pray. And they don't let Christians do it up there. Folks, our people deserve better than that from the leaders of our church. And God deserves better than that from the lay people of our church. Tell the truth. Or don't tell it at all. Number three. Real friends stand together for the truth even when it is not popular. Again, back to Numbers 13. The committee came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. They said, quote, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities, they're fortified. That meant they had walls all around them, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the uh, Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We need to go up and take it. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. The land does? Hello? The land does? All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. And then in chapter 14, Numbers 14, verse 1, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Skip to verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes in great mourning and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Two against ten. They stood up for what was the truth, even in the face of majority opposition. 
They stood up for what was true, even in the face of the nation's majority vote not to take the land. Now, let me, let me, let me uh, hurry to say something very quickly. Sometimes, sometimes you and I can be in the minority and be wrong. Just because I'm in the minority doesn't make me right any more than just because I'm in the majority will make me right. Listen, uh, you have to be where God is. You have to be finding out where God's going. Do all the research you can. Find out where he's going. Be there regardless of whether you're in the minority or the majority. I run across people who are always in the minority, and they say, well, you know, the majority crucified Jesus. Yes, they did. But that doesn't make me right if I'm in the minority. They had done their research, Caleb and Joshua, and they knew what was true, and they stood together for the truth, even though it wasn't popular. Are you willing to do that? Finally, number four, real friends know the importance of wholehearted commitment to God. Very uh, touched on this. In fact, it was the touchstone, the keystone, I think, of his message this morning. A wholehearted commitment to God overflows in right treatment of your friends. Numbers 14, verse 24, God says this through Moses. He says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. How about that? Wouldn't you like that sometime way, way out in the future when you die and we have the funeral and we set it up here at Palmetto Baptist and they roll your body in with a casket and the preacher gets up, whoever that preacher might be, and that preacher is able to say, this person, throughout all of her life, throughout all of his life, was a person with a different spirit. Caleb has a different spirit. He follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old and older, who, has count, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected and then skipping over into numbers chapter 26 12 chapters later verse 63 numbers 26 verse 63 says this these are the ones counted by moses and eleazar the priest when they counted the israelites on the plains of moab by the jordan across from jericho not one of them now keep in mind by the time you get to numbers 26 the children of israel have gone from where they were in the previous Numbers chapters, they're all the way to the banks of the Jordan. Moses is about to die. The children of Israel under Joshua's leadership are about to cross Jordan into the promised land. They're now taking a brand new count 38 years later. 38 years have transpired. And what are they saying here in verse 64? Not one of them, 
Keep in mind, they got a new count right there at the edge of, of the Jordan, 38 years later. And in that count, verse 64 says, Not one of them was among those counted by Moses and Aaron the priests when they counted the Israelites in the desert of Sinai. For the Lord had told those Israelites they would surely die in the wilderness and not one of them was left except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Joshua and Caleb were like twin sons of different mothers. They earned the respect of those around them They researched a matter before they drew a conclusion about it and gave a report on it. They stuck together for truth even when it almost cost them their lives and it was definitely unpopular. And they both took seriously a wholehearted commitment to the Lord. And they were the only two of all the people age 20 and older outside of Moses. Well, even Moses. He didn't get to go in the promised land. Of all the people 20 and older who got to go into the promised land, there were only two from 38 years earlier. And that was Joshua and Caleb. Now that's a friend I want. And that's a friend I want to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Joshua and Caleb and for the friendship they had, for the devotion they gave you, for the leadership that they showed and the respect that they earned from the people. Thank you for what they teach us about being good friends. Lord, help us to earn the respect of people through the life that we exemplify. Lord, help us before we say something or before we forward something, make sure that what we're saying is right and true and appropriate. Lord, when we have done all the research that we can possibly do and we stand on the truth, help us to stand on it even if the world be against us. For if God be for us, who can be against us? And Lord, help us not to lose our commitment, wholehearted commitment. And if we don't have it, give it to us, to you. In Christ's name, amen.